Hello, and welcome to the Revive Church Podcast with Pastor Todd Mozingo. I'm your host, Paul Garner. Thank you for listening today. Are you carrying around a bitterness that Jesus wants you to let go of? How did that happen? Has someone offended or harmed you in some way? Isn't it somehow unfair that they haven't paid a price for that? Does that make you angry? Jesus teaches us to forgive others, but isn't that too much to ask from us? How is it that the other person is going on well with their lives while we still suffer with the memory and feelings of that hurt or offense? Doesn't the bitterness of that situation harm us? How can we get free and get healed from our bitterness? Pastor Todd shares with us from the Word of God how we can find freedom and healing from our anger and bitterness. Are you ready to get into it? Be sure to listen to the end for some important information. I want to talk today about remembrance, about remembrance. And and today I hope for this to be a very, very, very practical day, a day where we apply some things, we make some decisions, and we move in some directions. This is a weekend of remembrance. We call it Memorial Day weekend. We remember those who died for us. And it's a good thing to remember things. I'm grateful that I have the capability to remember things because I can remember some very joyous things. I can remember some very important times. Uh, It's really interesting if you stop and think about the fact that we have the capability to remember things, to look back on them, to review them, to bring them up to our remembrance and, and just go through them again. But that ability to remember actually has an upside and it has a downside. Because there are some times where we remember things that we really wish we forget. Anybody? Yeah, there are just things that we can remember, but we wish we didn't. And there are things I really don't want to remember. And I was just walking through this thought of having a memory and being able to remember things. I remember that God says in the book of Hebrews that he has the capability to remember things no more. Let me read this to you in Hebrews 8. In Hebrews 8, it says, finding fault with them, he says, behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I'll effect a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Not like the covenant which I made with their fathers on that day when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt, for they did not continue in my covenant, and I did not care for them, says the Lord. But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, says the Lord, I'll put my laws in their minds, and I'll write them on their hearts and I'll be their God, and they'll be my people. And they shall not teach everyone his fellow citizen and everyone his brother, saying, hey, know the Lord, for they will know me from the least to the greatest of them. For I will be merciful to their iniquities, and I will remember their sins no more. I mean, it's a really bizarre thought. God is saying, I will remember your sins no more. And listen, it's not that God forgets. It's not that he has this capability of just forgetting what's happened with us. It's that he does not bring it to his memory. He remembers their sins no more. When you and I remember something, we stop and we think about it. We bring it back up. We review it. And God is saying, I will remember their sins 
no more. I won't bring it back up. I won't begin to think about it. I won't ponder on it. And that's, that is awesome for God that he puts them away and he doesn't bring it back up to his remembrance. Wouldn't it be great if we could bring things no longer to our remembrance? The stuff that we've done that we could just say, I can't even bring that thing up and remember it anymore. It's like a capability that God has that I wonder if I have. And even tells us how he does this. In Psalms 103, 12, he has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his loving kindness toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from him. So let me just put this out there. When it comes, uh, when it comes to remembering people who have hurt us, wouldn't it be easier to forgive them if we could remember that offense no more? Wouldn't it be easier because God seems to have that capability to put something out there and say, I'm going to remember that no more. And I don't know that I have that capability. When people sin against me and they hurt me, can I just put that thing away and not remember it anymore? There's a scripture in Matthew 18 that confused me for the longest time. I just struggled with it. In Matthew 18, 21 and 22, it says this. Then Peter came up to him and said, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times? I mean, that would be a lot if he kept offending me. And seven times I finally said, okay, I forgive you. And Jesus says this to him. I don't say to you seven times, but up to 70 times seven. Now, I don't know about you, but for years I thought that's crazy. If I were to forgive someone who are offending me 490 times, am I not just enabling them to offend me? Am I just enabling them to hurt me? Uh, you just keep doing it. I'll just keep forgiving you. It, just over and over and over. It's no problem. I'll just keep going. You keep doing it. I'll keep forgiving you. Uh, that's in my capability. Yeah, right. Yeah. I don't know that any of us has the human capability of just continuing to forgive over and over and over if we look at it from that perspective. So I began to look in Scripture. I said, is there anybody in Scripture who was able to do this, who was able to totally be hurt by someone and then just let it go apart from Jesus? Why don't you open your Bible to the book of Acts? Book of Acts. I want to show you something maybe you haven't seen. I'm going to be in chapter 6. What's going on here is the church is having some problems feeding people. Uh, there's a certain group of Hellenistic Jews that say, hey, they're being left out of the feeding and it needs to be organized better. Uh, so they make a decision to organize it better by picking seven men and saying, you guys make this thing work. And in uh, 6.3, it says, Therefore, brethren, select from among you seven men of good reputation, ones that are full of the Spirit and of wisdom, who can, we can put in charge of this task. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and the ministry of the Word. The statement found approval with the whole congregation. Listen, here's who they chose. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit, and Philip, everybody say Philip. Prochorus, Nicornan, Timon, Parmenas, Nicholas, a proselyte from Antioch, 
And these they brought before the apostles, and after praying, they laid hands on them. So now we have this group of men who are working together. Stephen and Philip are working together. They're on this team to help this feeding program. You know they're having meetings. You know they're sitting down talking about how do we make this flow smoother? How do we identify the people who aren't getting help? What do we do? You do this part, I'll do this part. So they work together. But in chapter 7 of Acts, Stephen gets stoned. He gets Stoned. If I look in 758, it says, when they had driven him out of the city, they began stoning him, and the witnesses laid aside the robes at the feet of a young man named Saul. Everybody say Saul. And they went on stoning Stephen as he called upon the Lord and said, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then falling on his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, don't hold this sin against them. And having said this, he fell asleep. So Stephen, who is working with Philip, gets stoned, and there's a man there named Saul who actually holds everybody's coat while his buddy Stephen gets stoned. Now go forward to Acts chapter 21. Acts chapter 21. Saul has had an experience on the road to Damascus. On the road to Damascus, when he was going to persecute Christians, he meets Christ. And, and, and he has this moment where he is forever changed. And he is told, you are going to the Gentiles. And he changes his reference from Saul to Paul. He didn't change his name. Paul was his Roman name. And Saul was his Jewish name. Since he was going to the Gentiles now, he began to use the name Paul. Now look in Acts 21, verse 4. After looking up the disciples, we stayed there seven days, and we kept telling Paul. This is the same Paul who was standing holding the robes while Stephen was being stoned. We told Paul through the Spirit not to set foot in Jerusalem. When our days there were ended, we left and started on our journey. And while they were all with wives and children, escorted us until we were out of the city. After kneeling down on the beach and praying, we said farewell to one another. Then we went on board the ship and returned home again. Seven, when we had finished the voyage from Tyre, we arrived in Paltamas. Just say it fast. Ptolemaeus. And after greeting the brethren, we stayed with them for a day. This is the group that's traveling with Paul. And on the next day, we came to Caesarea and entering the house of Philip, the evangelist, who was one of the seven, we stayed with them. I want you to think about this moment. Philip had been working with Stephen. They were selected on a group to feed people. They were working together. Stephen stands up for his face and gets stoned, and Saul is standing there holding the coach while it happened. Saul goes out to persecute the Christians. Philip is an evangelist. And yet on this day, only ten chapters later in our Scripture, Saul comes to stay with Philip. And they prophesy over Saul. And they begin to work with, and I'm thinking, how is Philip doing this? How is Philip letting this guy into his home who is a part of his friend being stoned? I don't understand that capability because I really think that uh, Philip should be bitter against Paul. He should be bitter against him. He should be thinking, you're the guy that stood there and watched them do it. You held their coat, you helped them out, and now you want to stay in my house? This doesn't make any sense. Why should I allow that? Why should I be okay with that? For some reason, Philip seems to be able to not bring that to his remembrance. 
He's not bringing it up. He's not talking about it. He's not pointing it out. He's not saying, this hurt me what you did. I I think you need to do some kind of reconciliation for it, Saul. I'm just not happy about this. But here, stay in my house. Listen to me. Unforgiveness dictates a need for a punishment to be delivered. Let me say that again. Unforgiveness dictates a need for a punishment to be delivered because unforgiveness is when I still hold you liable for a punishment for what you did to me. Unforgiveness is when I hold you liable for a punishment because of what you did to me. I think that's true of us today. I I think we do act and respond that way. We don't want to let the other person off the hook. If you've hurt me, I don't want you let off the hook. I want there to be some form of punishment. I want you to be called out some way and shamed for what you did. I I want you to somehow come and repent before me and recognize the hurt you've called. I want you to suffer some kind of consequence for what you did. And if we're honest with each other this morning, that's really how we think about people when we get hurt. Something has to happen. So how in the world can Jesus expect us to forgive 70 times 7? Matthew 18, 22, Jesus said, I don't say to you forgive them seven times. I say 70 times 7. So today I want to look at maybe what that means and how we can actually do that. How do you forgive someone 70 times 7? Because that means they offended you 490 times. And yet we still forgive. So let's look at that. And to do that, here's what you have to do. You got to look at yourself. Got it? All right, let's go home. The truth is the problem of unforgiveness is ours, not theirs. We are carrying a bitterness around with us that Jesus wants us to let go of. Listen to this in Hebrews chapter 12. Pursue peace with all men and the sanctification without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one comes short of the grace of God and that no root of bitterness springs up causing trouble and by many are defiled. We're to make sure that no root of bitterness springs up in us that causes trouble. So how do I do that when someone keeps hurting me? Here's the truth. Here's the truth about forgiving someone. You do not need that other person to repent to forgive them. You do not need to be reconciled to that person in order to forgive that person. Listen to me. You don't even need the other person alive to forgive them. What do I mean by that? Bitterness defiles you. You're carrying the bitterness. I've said this before. Most of the time when we're in a marriage relationship and one commits an affair and goes off to be with that other person, who is the one that's carrying the hurt? Who is the one whose life that's miserable? Not the one that's out having an affair. They're having a good time. It's the one who's carrying the bitterness about the hurt that's been imposed on 
them. So forgiving is about getting that bitterness off of me so that I can enjoy my life again without carrying that bitterness around. See, Jesus wants you to get rid of that bitterness because it brings up in you an unrighteous anger. It brings up in you a revenge. It brings up in you a judgmentalism. It can even bring you a physical pain, and that's not the abundant life that he died for. He died that you can have an abundant life and you're not having an abundant life because you're carrying bitterness because you won't forgive someone. Now stay with me. Ephesians 4 says it like this. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Listen, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander, watch, be put away from you along with all malice. Did you see what it just said? It said that malice and that anger, that has to be put away. There's an action that has to happen. You have to put that stuff away from you. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. Now, that's the one that always catches us, right? We have to forgive because God forgave us. Well, listen, that doesn't give me the tool to know how to forgive. It just says he was capable of doing it. Now, am I capable of doing it or not? I don't know because I keep bringing this thing up to my remembrance and it still hurts. What am I supposed to do? I want you to listen really closely. Jesus took the punishment on the cross to forgive you for your sins, right? Yes. And you're happy about that. You're glad that's available. You're glad you can take advantage of that. You're glad that he did that for you. But listen to me. Jesus took the punishment on the cross for the sin of the person who did the hurt to you. Jesus took the punishment on the cross for the sin of the person who hurt you. So you don't have to bear the hurt of it because Jesus bore it on the cross. It's actually what God does in the wrath toward our sin. The scripture says that God has a wrath toward our sin, but God didn't hold that wrath. God poured that cup of wrath out. He lets it go because Jesus paid the punishment for it. Watch this. In, in, uh, in Revelation 14, it talks about this wrath that God has. It says uh, in 14, uh, 9, then another angel, a third one followed him, saying with a loud voice, if anybody worships the beast in his image, and receives the mark on his forehead and on his hand, he will also drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is mixed in full strength in the cup of his anger, and he'll be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of holy angels, in the presence of the Lamb. Do you see what it just said? God has a cup of wrath to be poured out on anyone who worships the beast. Anyone who is sinful, anyone who is of the darkness, he has a cup of wrath. This is what Jesus is referring to when he's in the garden. And he says, God, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. The cup is the anger and wrath of God against sin that was poured out because of the wrath against sin that man was committing, that God poured it out on Jesus and not us. That's the beauty of our salvation. 
that the wrath of God doesn't get poured out on us. It got poured out on Jesus. So God doesn't have to put that wrath against you because he poured it on Jesus. And God is asking you to do the same. Watch this. Forgive each other just as, just as, in the same way, God in Christ forgave you. How did God in Christ forgave you? He put it on Jesus. He put the anger, he put the hurt, he put the wrath on the cross. He let it be poured out there. And he wants you to do it the same way. Listen, he expects you to let the sin of others go because Jesus took the punishment for that sin they committed. You don't have to carry the punishment for it. Jesus carried the punishment for it. And yet we carry that burden. We carry that anger. So I just got to live with it. I just got to let them treat me that way. Listen to me. I'm all for setting up borders, boundaries, learning from what's happened, protecting. That's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about what are you carrying? Because I can be completely free inside my fence. That's all good and fine, Todd, but how do you do that? How do you let it go? Man, it took me so long to learn this. But once I learned it, there was so much freedom in it. So much freedom not to let the past drag you down, not to let the remembrance bring you back, not to look at those things and constantly be in this turmoil. So I just want to give you maybe five things you can do to forgive someone else. Five things you can do to forgive someone else. Number one, remember. Who is at work in the person that's hurting you? Remember who is at work. Does God bring pain? Does God bring torment? Does God bring hurt into your life? No, the enemy brings those things in. It is Satan's work in the other person's life that's bringing hurt to you. It's not the person. The person is being used by the enemy to bring pain to you. Do you remember Judas? What did it say about Judas when it came to the crucifixion? It said Satan entered him and he sold Christ for 30 pieces of silver. Satan was at work in his life. That person doesn't want to hurt you. Satan working in them wants to hurt you. It's going to allow you to begin that forgiveness process. Number two. I hope you're ready for this one. Allow that person the same rationalization you want for yourself when you hurt somebody. Allow that person the same rationalization. And all I can say on that one is, ouch. Ouch. Because when I hurt somebody, I can always explain it. I didn't mean to do that. I didn't do that on purpose. It was an unintentional thing. Or listen, they really deserved it. You don't know what they did to me. And I've got all of this rationalization that I want you to understand why I hurt them. And it might be okay. I have to give that same rationalization ability to the other person about why they hurt me. They must have thought I needed that. They weren't thinking when they did that. Maybe they were just upset and that came out. And that's what I would have said. Number three, remember that they may have a past hurt that's driving them. This is huge. 
This is huge. People often only have the tools that they've learned. And people will hurt you as a way of getting back at the person who hurt them. I'm going to pass on that hurt. I'm going to treat somebody else like I got treated because somehow that makes me feel better. I got hurt a few years ago by an individual who did the exact same thing to me that was done to his father. And I watched it happen right in front of me. And, and I looked and said, you're operating out of the hurt and the only thing you know is how it was handled with your dad and that was a very hurtful situation and you just did it to me. Number four, <laughs> stop digging for more ways that it was wrong. Anybody? Isn't it amazing how we can get hurt and it can be this simple comment that kind of stabbed us? But then we can go back and think, I bet they thought about that before they said it. I bet they've even talked to other people about it. As a matter of fact, did you see the way she looked at me when he said that? So she knows too. And all of a sudden we're making this bigger, bigger, bigger thing. And the truth is most of the time when you find out the facts, you're wrong. You're wrong, but you've created this whole story. Why? We love carrying offense. We love to carry bitterness. Why? Because it makes us feel like we got fight in us. Number five, and probably should have expected this one. Stop bringing it to your remembrance. Stop bringing it to your remembrance. Stop digging it up. Let it go. Be done with it. Here's what's happening when we don't forgive. Nobody's hurting but us. We're the one that's carrying the hurt. We're the one that's carrying the burden. So when I began to look at that scripture that says, how do I forgive 70 times 7? The answer is because I'm willing to let it go and not carry it. I can do that as many times as I want. It doesn't make the other person right. It doesn't make what they're doing is okay. It doesn't make any of that because that's not what it's about. Jesus is saying, stop carrying the bitterness. Stop carrying the bitterness. And if you make the decision that I will not carry the bitterness, then you walk forward in that more abundant life. How do I do that? I remember who's at work in the person that's hurting me. It's the enemy. I remember that they have a rationalization for it. I may not agree with it, but they're defending it. That's what they think happened. I have to remember that there may be past hurts that are driving them. I have to stop digging for more ways and throng. And I got to stop thinking about this thing. I just got to let it go. I got to move on. Listen, do you believe God is on your side? Then is he going to drag you back into the mud on a regular basis? No, he's asking you to go forward. Get over it. Move on. Well, what did you think? Has God been speaking to you about any of these things? We would love to hear from you. You can email us at info at reviveusnow.com. Now for some very exciting news. Pastor Todd's latest book has just been released. It's called Missing Pieces. Have you ever asked yourself, if the Holy Spirit lives in me, why do I still do the things I don't want to do? Pastor Todd addresses this and many more important questions that most of us have pondered for years. Pastor Todd fills in the missing pieces that we have wondered about, and when those pieces are understood and put in place, the bigger picture becomes more clear. This new book is available now on Amazon. 
This podcast is brought to you by Revive Church of Stewart, Florida. You can learn more about us at our website, reviveusnow.com. If you would like to support this ministry, go to our website, reviveusnow.com slash give. If you live in our area or are planning a visit to our area, we would love to have you join us. We are located at 8851 Southwest Old Kansas Avenue in Stewart, Florida. If you enjoyed this podcast, why not click to subscribe right here on the podcast site of your choice. That way you won't miss any of Pastor Todd's and Revive Church's future podcasts. Thank you for joining us.